0: Amen. Amen. I got to tell you, we, uh, for those of you that don't know, we, we have first Saturday prayer here. Um, It's always the first Saturday of each month from 8 to 9. There's a little exhortation, a little encouragement about prayer just to challenge us a little bit. Uh, We do some time just praying personally. And then uh, we pray over the prayer requests. So if you guys see, like right now, Miss Ella's walking around. Those prayer requests, when you give those, they're prayed over during the week. And they're prayed over at that first Sunday. And that's something we love doing. is coming together. But this last one that just happened this past Saturday, uh, Hannah Swartz gave the encouragement. And she said something that was just I was just like, wow, that's really good. And um, she just challenged us that God doesn't, God doesn't, God isn't pleased with ambiguous prayers. Like where we just throw, we're just throwing it to the wall, hoping it sticks, you know, <laughs> hoping that something sticks. God, just do a miracle. It, God is pleased with faith that says, no, God, you said I can ask and I'll receive. I need a miracle right now. This is the miracle that I need. And it just really spoke to me and challenged me as we're walking in faith with our pastor. I mean, he's the one having to go through the fight, but he doesn't have to go through it alone, right? And to be specific with our prayers and to let God know this is what we're asking for. And I just want to encourage you with that as well, that if there's a need you have in your life, don't be afraid to get specific with the Lord and say, this is what I'm asking for. And then you put your trust in him because he's got you. whatever happens listen to me whatever happens at the end of it you'll go he was faithful period I don't know what it's going to look like but I know at the end of it you'll look and go he's good and he's faithful and so let's be let's just be a church that's bold and saying Lord this is what we're asking for we're not being ambiguous here we want to tell you what we're after and we trust in you right and we trust in you I just was encouraged with that I want to encourage you with that if you haven't been to a first Saturday prayer you should do it. I'm telling you, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Anyways, I'm supposed to do tithe and offering first. This is going to be the shortest tithe and offering message you've ever heard in your life. Honor the Lord with your tithes and your offerings. All right, let's pray. They're going to bring the brackets down, and uh, we're going to pray. Was that good? you guys challenged? Did you feel that in your spirit? Just mm, honor the Lord. Okay, Ashley wants a little bit more. I'm going to give it to you as plain as I can give it to you. This is what I believe with all of my heart, is that the tithes and the offerings that we're commanded to give in Scripture aren't for God's benefit, they're for ours. God doesn't need your money. If God wanted more money, He'd make it. What God wants and what He's after is your heart. And it just so happens that money, money is one of those things that can just easily grab a hold of our hearts. And it can cause us to take our trust and our faith off of God and put our faith and our trust in our own means. And I think the Lord knows that when we pursue that path, it only leads to destruction. And so he's actually trying to save us when he says, hey, honor me with your money. Because that road's just going to lead to a dead end, literally. Right? And so we honor the Lord with our money, not because he needs it, but because he wants us. He wants us. And he knows that the best thing we could ever have is him. So honor the Lord with your money. That's the best I got for you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that, Lord, we would honor you, that we would trust in you, that our faith would be in you and you alone, Father, that we would not put our trust in money and what our own hands can produce for us, but, Father, we would trust in you in all things. And we pray that we would honor you with our money, with our tithes and our offerings, Father, as we bring them to you with joy in our hearts, knowing that we're not missing out when we give to you. We're gaining even more because you have everything that we need. You are completely sufficient to meet all of our needs and to go exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. So we thank you for that. for Father, be blessed tonight by our faith. And Father, I thank you that you will bless us in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. If you've got some tithes and offerings, bring it on down, put it in the bucket, then get your Bible out and open it up to Matthew 24. Well, it's an honor to be out here with you guys tonight. Um, I'm super grateful for our youth, our youth dream team, uh, who are able to hold the services down when I got to pop out here. They do an amazing job, and I just want to brag on them a little bit. When you get the opportunity, if you see somebody and they look like they work in the youth ministry department, you'll know it very easily because they'll be leaving church like, <sighs> kind of like the way you come to church when you bring your kids and you walk in the doors. <sighs> Right. That's how you'll know. Just go up and high five them. Tell them that you love them. I got I got some people that are going with me all summer long. We've been doing these fifth and sixth grade retreats um, because because research shows us, by the way, that that by the time they hit, I think it's 14, most children have made the decision about whether or not they're going to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. And so it's not the high school. We love our high schoolers, and we want to read. They're actually out here. The high school dudes are with me. What's up, gentlemen? Uh, We love our high schoolers, but we got to capture the heart of our younger ones, right? And so we have some leaders that have been going with us. And let me just tell you, uh, fifth and sixth graders, um, they're a unique breed. You have to have a special heart and a tolerance for smells that aren't normal, you know? I mean, so all I'm saying is they love your kids. They they just volunteer their time and they're absolutely amazing people and I'm grateful for them and you should be grateful as well and give them a high five when you see them. Give them a hug. Take them out to the cheesecake factory. I don't know, do something for them cuz they deserve it. They're worth every penny that I pay them. <laughs> that was a that was a joke. I don't, I don't pay them anything. But they're storing up that treasure in heaven. Air camp. I love air camp. You know, he was just here. He, he, uh, he told me, he said what he tells his volunteers is the pay is cheap, the hours, is, the hours are long, but the retirements out of this world. And I just thought, that's, that's powerful. And you're still hungry at the end of the day, but it'll be fine. All right, Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm a little torn because uh, I was asked to write one of the small group curriculums that's coming up. And I've just been diving fully into it. And I'm like so excited. My my mind is just blowing up with with what the Lord's just speaking to me as I'm prepping this small group material. And I really wanted to preach it. And then I thought, that's probably not a good idea because you're going to be doing it in a couple of weeks in the small groups. So sign up for small groups. I'm not going to tell you which one I'm writing because if it's bad, I don't want you to come and tell me, you know, that's what I'm going to do. But just take the small groups, they're going to be incredible. And I really wanted to preach it because I'm so excited about it, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach something else. I'm going to preach from Matthew 24 and 25. And I, I just got to ask you, are you guys willing to go on a journey with me? Because I want to read you a lot of scripture, but I want to show you something. I want to show you something as we read this. We're going to read all of chapter 24 and 25. And, and as, before we do it, I just need to set this up for you. There's a couple of ways that people read scripture. And in my experience, when I was a younger Christian, I would say an immature Christian, I would kind of scan the Bible until I found a verse that really spoke to me where I was at in the moment, you know? Like if I just got broken up with by my girlfriend. I'd go and look for verses that talk about God will give you peace. You know, like, it'll be all right. You're okay. You're the apple of God's eye, even if you weren't the apple of her eye. You know what I'm saying? And I'd just meditate on that for a little while, and it was good. And then as I got a little older, you know, I started getting the value of maybe getting more than, like, five words out of one verse to speak to me. And I started, you know, realizing more. But then as I've gotten even older and just I'm falling more in love with the Bible because you read big blocks of it, and you go, man this really wasn't meant to be split up and dissected as much as we've done it. And when you read it, in bigger block texts and, and the authors of the scriptures, they were led by the spirit to, to design it in such a way that, that we can see what they're doing. We can track along with them and go, Hey, this is all meant to be taken together. This is, this is like a continuous thought. And when we see it that way, it becomes even more alive. I'm just telling you, the more I get into my Bible, the more I fall in love with it. I get excited about it. And I get to the point where I can't, like, I can't move on. I'm like, I just got to soak this little section up and just let the Lord, just mess with me. So I'm going to take you through one of those journeys. The Lord brought me to Matthew 24 and 25 in my normal uh, devotional reading plan that I follow. I got here, and it just was like exploding in my brain, and I was like, this is incredible. So I'm going to give you a little journey with me. Matthew 24, I'm reading from the NIV. If my translation is a little different from yours, that's why. We're going to start in verse 1. It says that Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attentions to its buildings. All right? So the temple in Jerusalem. And the disciples are like, look at that. Jesus is in the temple. Because to the Israelite people, the temple was like their crown jewel. I mean, that's where God was, you know? That's where the, the ark and all that. So you get it? They're like, look at it amazing. And Jesus, being Jesus, says, do you see all these things? He said, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, just, I mean, put yourself, I'm just going to walk you through this, like I just, the Lord. You, you put yourself in their shoes, and you're like, Jesus, isn't it amazing? Could you imagine bringing something to Jesus and be like, I think this is so special, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's all going to get broke down. I mean, just, it's, you'd be like, but it was so special to me. And she's like, nah. This for them, you put yourself in their shoes. The temple was all of it. That is where God put his name, right? That's where the fullness of his presence dwelt for the Israelite people. That's where if you went into the holy of holies and you weren't supposed to, that you'd die. And they would tie a rope around your leg when the high priest would go in once a year. Because if he went in not quite ready, he'd drop dead and they'd just drag him out. Like that's where God was, right? And his disciples are like, look at it. So crowning and Jesus is like, yeah, it's not really, it's not that special. It's all going to fall apart. Verse 3. There's a weird interjection here too, because we go from this, Jesus, yeah, it's going to be torn down. He doesn't give us any more dialogue. He just tells them it's all going to fall apart. And then literally Matthew goes, and Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately, so we're talking, we're talking his close-knit disciples. There's a large group of people that would follow Jesus, but then there's the close-knit. His disciples come to him privately, tell us, they said, when, when will this happen? When's this thing going to fall down like you said? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, I know that that's a fascinating topic. I know that people love to talk about the end times and all this stuff. I'm going to help everybody out here real quick. If you're like me, whenever somebody throws around the word end times for a long time, that made me super weird. I was like, this is weird, man. Why are we talking like doomsday stuff? It it would creep me out. I'm just being honest with you. It would creep me out. But I just want to help you understand something here. The New Testament authors, all of them write about like we're in the last days. We're in the end times. This is the end of the show. I just want to help you out. The end times refer to the time after Jesus ascends to heaven all the way up until Jesus comes back. That's the end times doesn't have to be that weird. doesn't have to freak you out. It literally is referring to the period of time all of creation is, is in right now. Jesus ascended. We're in the end times all the way until Jesus comes back again. That's why the writers can say, we're in the end days. And 2,000 years later, we can go, we're in the end days. Because we are. Because it's referring to this time period in humanity and in creation story where Jesus has ascended and he hasn't come back yet. All right? You guys tracking with me? All right, now look at how Jesus responds. Their question is, tell us when you're coming back. That's what they want to know. And Jesus just lays a whopper on them. He says, Jesus, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So literally what's been happening in the world forever, like since sin, like this is not new. Read your Old Testament, right? This stuff's been happening. She's like, it's gonna keep happening. Can I, can I just give you a, sometimes we read this stuff and it'll get in us and we'll, we'll start seeing stuff happening and it can make us get a little weird. I just wanna help you. If, If Gerald was driving home today, which hopefully you're going to drive home after church, you know, unless you're staying and praying all night. If Gerald's driving home, and I just so happen to know, hey, Gerald, giving you a heads up, buddy. I found out that on your road home, some, some oil tanker flipped over and blew up. The whole road's on fire. You might want to take a detour and go this other road. Oh, by the way, when you go on that road, I just want you to know a herd of deer are going to come running across the road 10 seconds before you get to that spot, so maybe slow down just a little. And if I prepped him, if I knew what was coming and I prepped him, when he gets there and experiences it, he doesn't have to experience fear. You tracking with me? Jesus is letting the disciples know, hey, stuff's going to keep being crazy. Because I haven't made all things new yet. I've made you new. You've been born again, if you're in me. But this world's still kind of tracking. I'm redeeming the whole thing, but it's still going this way right now. One day when I come back, all things will be made new. So Jesus is just letting us know, hey, kingdoms are going to rise up against kingdom. You've seen it before. You're going to keep Seeing it. Nation against nation. There's going to be natural disasters. Those things are going to keep happening. And because we're in Christ and we've listened to him, those things don't have to scare us. They don't have to fill us with fear. We go, oh yeah, Jesus told me that was going to happen. I'm not shocked by this, right? He keeps going. Verse 9. Then you will be handed over, as is where I love it, like Jesus just, he doesn't pull any punches. Then you're going to be handed over to, the, to be persecuted and put to death. And all the disciples said, Well, what? Hold up, pause, right? And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Being a Jesus follower, all of a sudden, nothing sounded that exciting. He says that at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay. Now, I want to just pause right here, and I want to say some things. Because people are like, if we just preach the gospel to all the peoples in the world, then immediately, like the last person to be witness to gives witness to, and bam, Jesus comes back right there. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, by the way. I think he's sending us out. Go do the work. The Bible says that God is very patient because he desires for all men to come to salvation. I hope he's a little more patient than just waiting for the last person to hear the name Jesus. Right? Like if it's your loved one, you're not wanting that to be the timer. You know what I'm saying? Like we want to, here's what we want to do. We don't want to force the text to say what we want it to say. We need to see what it actually is speaking to us. And that's what I'm trying to help us accomplish today. So then he says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, and then there's this little bracket thing. You guys see that? It says, let the reader understand. That's cool. It's it's really good. It's really good. God spoke to the prophets. They said, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Well, that's a weird phrase. What, is, what, is, what are we talking about right now? I don't know. I actually do kind of know. And here's what I want to share with you. In this section of scripture, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna help you. There's a little bit of this weird dynamic going on because some of what Jesus is saying right now is actually speaking to the people that are alive right then. They're going to experience this. The desolation that causes abomination, they're going to experience it in their generation. The Rome is gonna come in and just take out Judah. They're gonna destroy the temple. There's a mix happening here. Some of what Jesus is saying is literally spoken, this is happening to you guys. You're gonna, what does Paul do? When Before he becomes Paul, he saw, and what does he do? He goes out and starts persecuting the believers, and he starts murdering them. Stephen is the first martyr. What Jesus said was going to happen to them started to happen. Are you tracking? But some of the stuff Jesus is saying is referring to here's what's going to come down the road. So there's this little mix, and we have to approach it with wisdom, and we have to approach it with some humility and go, we're not quite sure, or at least I'm not, maybe you are, but I'm not quite sure, what stuff really applies to them right there in that moment and what stuff Jesus is saying is down the road. I'm just approaching it with humility and saying I'm not quite sure I fully understand it yet. He says, pray that your flight will not take place in winter. He says that because when when Rome comes in they're gonna flee. You you see, that's why we know some of this meant right then and some of it, okay. For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. My understanding of this is this is for these people right now. He's letting them know ahead of time, hey, Rome's going to come. He doesn't specifically say Rome. He's following in the nature of the prophetic from the Old Testament. Hey, they're going to come in and wipe this out. And when that happens, some people are going to rise up and be like, hey, I'm the Messiah. Follow me. And Jesus is letting them know ahead of time, hey, when those knuckleheads show up, they ain't me. I'm telling you what's going to happen. It's kind of like when you go to Jeremiah, the prophet. And if you read it, what's happening is Jeremiah is a true prophet of God. And God has spoken to Jeremiah and said, hey, Jeremiah, go let my people know they're going to go be in captivity. They're going to be exiles in Babylon for 70 years. Oh, by the way, Jeremiah, go tell all those other idiot prophets to shut up. Because all the other prophets were coming saying, I got a word from the Lord. We're only going to be there for like 40 days, people, so pack light. We're going to be in and out. And, And the Lord sends a true prophet to say, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going down. Jesus, again, you can see this imagery coming live. Jesus like, don't listen to these people that are going to show up and try to deceive you. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Listen to my voice. you you're tracking with me. All right. I love it. You're just so good. All right. Verse 26. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out there. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe that. He says, for his lightning, I love this so much, for his lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of man. In other words, Jesus wants his people to know, when I come back, there won't be any question. You're not going to have to wonder, is this really Jesus? No, you're going to know for sure it's that obvious. That's good news for us. Jesus is so good to us. Wherever there is a carcass, the the vultures will gather. That's a weird phrase. Essentially, he's saying the same thing. If there's a dead carcass, what's going to gather there? Vultures, right? uh, He's like, it's going to be obvious, people. He just uses two two weird metaphors to say the same thing. Verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. He's quoting some Old Testament scripture there. He says, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. And then look at verse 34. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now we got to stop right there and go, okay, Jesus is talking about the end times. Why am I talking about this? Because I'm going to show you how Jesus gives us this information. And if we just stop at chapter 24, we will literally miss the point of why Jesus has even given us this whole spiel. I'm telling you right, do not stop. At the end of chapter 24, because then what you're going to do is you're going to walk away and you're going to go, I got to dissect every bit of this so I can, I can interpret every little thing that's happening and I can try to pinpoint when Jesus, that is not the point of what, what Jesus is doing. That's why you got to keep reading. And that's why the author, led by the Spirit of God, didn't put any kind of transitional phrase in here to make you go, this is a new thing happening, is one continuous thought going in. But Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And I don't think Jesus is a liar. So when he said that, he was talking to a people and telling them what I have just spoken to you will happen in your lifetime. Right? Right? Now, we know some of it is prophetically speaking towards the end, but there's some of it that's so concrete, it's just like, this is what you will experience, which is why we must approach it with humility and let the Holy Spirit lead us so that we don't get something out of it that Jesus wasn't intending. I really think what Jesus was trying to accomplish was, hey, you're going to be driving through life. Let me tell you about the road bumps and the potholes, and let me just give you a heads up of what's coming so that you're not caught off guard when you see it happening, Right? Now look at verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows. What day, what hour? The moment Christ comes back, the end of the age, when Jesus comes back again. He says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Pause. Jesus just said everything that he said up to this point, and then he stops to make sure that we understand something. You cannot guess when I'm coming back so essentially what Jesus is saying is I've told you about all this stuff that's gonna take place I did not tell you that so that you'll go and focus so much on all this stuff that's happening in the world and neglect what I want you to really be about because I church I'm telling I know some people that get so consumed with the end times and trying to figure it all out, that they don't do what Jesus goes on to say we should be doing because they're just trying to figure it out. And Jesus is like, I told you all that, but that wasn't, It's not why I told you. You won't know. Not even the angels know. I don't even know. Only the Father. And that should sum it up. If somebody walks up to you and says, do you know when Jesus is coming back? The only proper answer is, no, I have literally no idea. Yeah, but there's wars and rumors of wars and that earthquake and tsunami. I have no idea when Jesus is coming back. You, you guys track him with me? This is so important for us to grab because as Jesus continues on, he's going to get to the whole heart of why he's told us all of this to begin with. Verse 37 Two men will be in the field, one will be taken away and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. Look at what therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. What's Jesus saying? It's pretty simple. Noah was building a boat. Noah was a prophetic witness to everyone that a flood's coming. Noah was the only person that got on the boat and his family at that. That was implied. Jesus says, this is exactly the way it's going to be when I come back. That those who are faithful, who are ready, they're not going to miss the boat. But everyone else who's just going through life. They're eating and drinking and getting married, and they're just, they're just living every day like it's the same old thing every day. There's no anticipation. There's no expectation. They're not preparing themselves for the day. He says if they live that way, then it's going to be just like in the day of Noah when the boat's ready and there was a prophetic witness so everyone would know there's coming a day that the flood's coming. Jesus says it's the same thing. You're going to be my prophetic witness. You're going to be attesting to the world that I'm coming back one day, and one day it will just happen and it'll, it'll catch everyone off guard. That's the whole point of two men will be in the field, one will be taken away. The whole point is it will catch you off guard if you're not ready for it. You're just tracking. All right. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. <laughs> This is so cool. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus is like, in case you didn't get the first example, let me give you another one. And I think he's given this one for the men because I think he felt like the men maybe didn't catch the Noah drift. He's like, hey, if I told you somebody was going to break into your house, what would you do? And all the men are like, I'd stand at the door, I'd be ready to beat that sucker up. And Jesus is like, exactly. I'm going to come break in your house one night, be ready for me. you get it? Like, Jesus just speaks to us, man, the way he needs to, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I just think of my dad, you know. We had a curfew when I could start driving, and my dad's like, So I'm just tell you what, if you don't get home by midnight, I assume anybody after midnight's trying to break in, I'm going to meet you with a baseball bat. And I'm just like, Okay, you know, I think that's Jesus. Jesus, is like, be ready to meet me with a baseball bat, you know? I don't know. This is the way my brain works. I can't help it. Now Jesus is going to transition into the heart. Listen to me, church. He's going to transition into the heart of why he's told us the answer that he's given so far. What was the disciples' question? When will the end come? What is Jesus' answer? I'm going to simplify it. You won't know. When will you come? You won't know. And if you're like me, you go, well, what am I supposed to do then? And Jesus, because he is amazing, he's going to let us know what we should do in the meantime. Who then, verse 45, is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. (laughs) You know, this is literally like this happens in the New Testament. The apostles have to address this. They're like, hey, why is he taking so long? Where's this promised second coming? Jesus knew we were gonna be this way. We don't shock him. And so he's given us a teaching to be like, don't be like that, people. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants. This is a dumb person. And to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. Jesus has already said that's the way it's going to go down. And at an hour he is not aware of. And then Jesus says something super disturbing. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And everybody said, let's just take a Sharpie and blot that out of the Bible. That makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Can I just, can we just in humility say, Jesus wants there to be a lot of gravity on this statement. He's not mincing words. The person that he comes back, who's he talking to? His disciples, his followers, the ones who claim to believe. He says, if I come back, and I find you being wicked and going out and mistreating people and living in sin, though you claim to be my follower, he gives very strong language, and I'll, I will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking about who's the faithful and wise servant, right? He's talking to, he's talking to those of us who have already confessed, I believe, and I'm following you. And he says, okay, if you're following me, then really follow me. Don't turn back and go live in wickedness and abuse people and take advantage of people because I'll bring judgment, right? Matthew chapter 25, we're going to keep going because this is one continuous teaching of Jesus as Matthew writes it. Matthew 25 verse 1, Jesus is going to give us three parables, and I'm going to tell you the really good news after we read all three of them. You guys okay? Is this all right? 7.52. I know I've been going for a while, but you can hang with me. All right. I was going to keep going anyways. It don't matter. Anyways, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. At what time? Somebody tell me, at what time is Jesus talking about? When he... Comes back. When he comes back. Thank you. You guys are tracking. I love it. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming. I wonder if Jesus was letting us know it was going to be a while. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on the way... To buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. He's not changing his theme here. The theme is still the same. When are you? When are you coming back, Jesus? You won't know. So be ready at all times. Right? If you go and you read about Noah and the ark, it, it says very plainly: there come a moment where, where the Lord shut the door. You know what's really profound about that moment is that nobody believed the flood was coming until the door shut and the rain started coming. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, hey, I actually want to be in the ark now. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like a better option than what I'm experiencing right now. Do you see the symbolism? Do you see the symmetry here? That we are a prophetic witness in the world. When we live with an expectation that the Lord's coming back, the true Lord of the earth is going to come back for his church, and we live that way boldly not in fear, and we're out there trying to tell other people, hey, I just want you to know the true king of the world's coming back one day, and you can be saved if you'll just put your faith in him and turn away from worldly things and follow the true king. You can be saved. You can be spared, and there's going to come a moment when the reality is going to hit the whole earth, and God's going to shut the door of opportunity, and the people who are on the outside who've been watching the prophetic faithful witnesses follow Jesus and watch for his return, they're going to go, those people. People were right, and all of a sudden they're going to want to get on the boat too. And she's like, no, it's too late at that point. You missed it. Church, can I tell you something? There's an urgency in being a prophetic witness because there's a moment where the door is going to shut. And the Lord has sent us out in his place as though he is making his appeal through a lost world through us to go and tell people about the good news of the reconciliation of God, that we were his children, created in his image, and we had fallen out of that image and out of our role. But God, in his great mercy and in his great love for us, said, I'm not going to just leave you that way. I'm going to do everything necessary to get you back where you've always belonged, but you're not going to be forced into it. I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm not going to force you to walk in my love and church that's the prophetic witness that we bear that I've responded to the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. And I know and I believe with all my heart he's coming back. And so I want to be prepared and I want to be ready for that moment. And I want to tell everyone else that I believe with every ounce of my being that the Lord Jesus is coming back one day. And if we're ready, he's going to take us with him into his eternal kingdom where there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain, suffering, or death. And I can get there purely by his grace and his mercy. I don't have to earn it and neither do you. But it takes you saying, I will will walk a new way with jesus and the lord will move the holy spirit when we bear that prophetic witness the holy spirit comes on us and he anoints it and people get saved not because of anything we've done but because the spirit of god's moving through his witnesses in the earth that's why i'm just telling you that's why jesus said don't he gave them the great commission and said, but don't leave until the Spirit comes and clothes you with power from on high. Why? Because our witness don't mean much unless the Spirit of God's touching it. This parable of the ten virgins this is what I really believe. What is, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? Somebody tell me. What's the greatest commandment? You know it. It's not a trick question. Say it real loud. Close. Love the Lord. David, you're, you're just jumping ahead. That's fine. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sneak ahead in my message a little bit. I, with all my heart, believe this first parable in Matthew 25 is about loving the Lord. That I love the Lord. What, what are we talking about? We're talking about virgins who are waiting for their wedding day. In Jesus' day, this is how it worked. The, 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 the fathers, you know, there'd be a young suitor, a young strapping young man. The, the woman would, you know, kind of whatever's happening there, I don't know. But the, the men would get together and they'd make a plan. They'd be like, this is what's going to happen. And then they were smarter back in those days because the dad's like, go prepare a house for my daughter. Like, go get everything ready, boy. You ain't getting her until you've got proof that you're ready to handle this responsibility. Right? So they go away, and he'd go and he'd do what he needed to to prepare for the bride so that he could go get the bride and actually have something to take her to. You know what I'm saying? There's wisdom there, parents, I'm just telling you right now. Tell your sons to be ready for marriage. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, and so then what would happen is nobody would know. He'd just be off prepping for them, and it just makes me wonder if when Jesus said, hey, I go to prepare a place for you. The bride didn't know when the bridegroom was coming back. She had no idea. He's out doing his thing and one day when everything's ready, he's coming back and Jesus is like, and if, if we're ready because we want it, we're going to be prepped for the moment even if it arrives at midnight. You tracking with me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The parable of the ten virgins, I really believe, is about us loving the Lord with everything that we are. That we are constantly in a place of, I'm ready to go with you, Jesus. All right. We're not done yet. Isn't this so good? I love it. When's Jesus come back? We don't know. But here's what we're going to do to be ready. We're just going to love Jesus with everything we are. That's what we're going to do. Next parable. Starting in verse 14, it says, Again, that's why I know Jesus is teaching on the same thing, because he's again. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Pause. Church, I want you to know that Jesus, you already know this, we've been given every spiritual gift in the heavenly places. Like, it's just been poured out in us. Jesus is like, hey, it's like a man going on a journey, and before he leaves, he comes up to his servants, and he entrusts all of his wealth to them. Jesus is like, everything that you need, I have, and I have given it to you. I want you to point at yourself. I, I want you to do this so seri- point at yourself and say, everything I need to be faithful for Jesus, I already have it. You have it. It's already there. The Holy Spirit's come and empowered you. Whatever the Lord's going to lead you to do to be a prophetic witness, witness for him, it's already in you. You just got to step out in faith and start doing it. You know, it's amazing to me that I'm going to just kind of be honest for a minute. I know I'm going, to, I'm going to be done at 8.15. I promise I'll be done at 8.15. But I just want you to know, there have been like, we all want to stand up here and be like, Lord, spoke to me. I really do believe I'm led by the Spirit of God. But there's really only been like five times in my life that I would have bet my life on that's what the Lord just told me to do. Like only five times, you know what I'm saying? The rest of the time, I just, I'm like, I think this is where the Lord's leading me. And they just But in those five times where I was 100% certain, there was absolutely nothing in the physical that would go, oh, yeah, that's what the Lord wants, just step on out there. But almost every single time, it was a complete step of faith to go, God, this is what you told me to do. So, And what's amazing is the provision's there every time, every time. Let me just, I'm going to share one story with you just to excite you. One night, I'm, I'm out, I'm living in Walpock, it was my, wife's, not my wife and I's first house that we had together. You know, those fond memories of your first place where it's not your dream at all, but it's kind of what you could do. You know what I'm saying? And we're just, I'm, I would walk the block. It was about a mile-long road, round-trip thingy. And we got debt and all this stuff because uh, my wife went to college. I didn't, you know, I was, this, I was the one that saved money. I didn't save any money. We were flat broke when we got married. But the point is, we're trying to pay off our school debt. That's why we both worked and we didn't do anything our first year of marriage. We literally were trying to pay off our debt. And I'm just walking the block praying trying to jog a little bit because I was, you know, trying to be healthier at that point. And as I'm walking and praying, I just so strongly, with every ounce of my being, I knew that the Holy Spirit had spoke to me and said, don't put another dime towards that debt. And I'm just walking, I'm like, I mean, you know, I think think we get in trouble for that. You know? And I'm just praying and I just stronger and stronger, I can just feel the spirit of God saying, don't put another dime towards that debt. And I, and I just resolved in my heart, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go home and tell Bethany, we ain't putting another dime towards the debt. It's just not gonna happen, you know? And, um, and so I go home and I look at my wife and I'm like, honey, the Lord told me not to pay another penny to the debt. We're just not supposed to give them any more of our money. And she went, That's not how that works. And I said, honey, all I know is the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, we're not to give them another dime of our money. So we're not going to. And she said, it's auto-drafted out of our account. And I said, I understand that, but I'm telling you, we're not giving them another dime of our money. And in less than a week, somebody decided to bless us with, guess how much, the exact dollar amount to pay that bill every month. We didn't put another dime of our money to that bill. Are you tracking with me? And we're living by faith. I was like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm telling you, it's not going to come out of our money. And the Lord just, what I'm saying is when the Lord speaks to you and he gives you a vision, that's just something that was a personal need for us. But when the Lord leads you of how you're going to be his prophetic witness, when he says, hey, go out into all the world, he was talking to the whole church. We're not all supposed to go to the whole world. You might just need to go to your workplace. You're tracking with me. But the Lord's already given you everything that you need to go there and be the prophetic witness that he's called you to be in that place. You've got it. You just got to step out in faith. I'm so excited. Verse 15: To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. You don't have to be me, and I don't have to be you, and we can all just trust that Jesus gave us exactly what we need to do what he wants us to do, and we can all just be super happy with that. And then he went on his journey. And the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. And so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, there's that long time again, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, "You entrusted me with five bags of gold, and see, I have gained five more." And his master replied, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things; I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness." And then the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, "You entrusted me with two bags of gold, and see, I have gained two more." And his master replied, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things; I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness." And then the man who had received One bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. And see, here is what belongs to you. I just, this is so good. Like, this would have been me. You know what I'm saying? I just tell you, I would have been the guy that's like, boy, I better not risk losing this. I'm going to go hide it and he'll be proud of me that I didn't lose it. You know what I'm saying? His master replied, verse 26. Again, there's gravity here because Jesus doesn't mince his words. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servants. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <sighs> What's the point? If I could submit this to you, I think that, again, this parable is Jesus teaching us two things. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Why does this have to do with that? Because we already know from the first parable and from the beginning of this one that Jesus has given us everything we need. In other words, I don't have a single excuse in the whole world to not go out and do what the Lord's called me to do with my life. And if I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I'm going to go and do something for the Lord. You with me? And Jesus gives us this parable. Here's what I really love about it. The people that just went out and did something with what he gave them, they all succeeded, every single one of them. That's pretty cool. Church, I'm just telling you, I think Jesus really wants us to know and believe that if he calls us to something everything we need to be successful at. It's already there, and guess what? We're going to be successful. You know why? Because it ain't really you that wants to get it done anyways. It's really Jesus that wants to get it done, and he's chosen to invite you into the story and let you be a part of the great work that he's doing. And that's why Jesus says that when he comes back and he finds that you've done something with what he's given you, he's going to invite you, and you're going to get to come and share in his master's joy because it's going to be a great celebration when we get there and go look at what Jesus was able to do through somebody who was just willing to do something with somebody he'd already given him. tracking with me when's Jesus coming back we don't know but what are we supposed to do in the meantime we're supposed to be ready for the moment he comes back and we better be doing something when he gets back if we claim to be his followers so you're tracking with me he's talking to his disciples he's not talking to the lost he's talking to his disciples let's keep going Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes, he's still on the same thing. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Hallelujah. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And everybody said, Amen. I want to a sheep. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Because they're asking a great question because he said, I'm going to go away. So when did we see you? You're going to ascend to the Father. When when did I see you out walking the street naked? When did I see you under a bridge starving? What are you talking about, Jesus? Verse 40, 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Hmm. And then he will say to those on his left, those goats, he says, depart from me, you who are cursed, and do the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Who's it prepared for? The devil and his angels. It wasn't made for you and me. That's not what God wants for you. That's not God's desire for you. For I was hungry, here's why you're going there, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed, um, I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Verse 44, they will also answer, Lord, when, 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 when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Because we would have if it was you. Jesus, this is foolishness, Jesus. If I'd have seen you, Jesus, hungry and thirsty and needing clothes or in prison, I would have come and ministered to you, Jesus, because it's you, Jesus. You can almost hear the argument, right? How many many times have I been willing to drive right past somebody that the Lord's like, hey, help that person, help that person? Nope, but in my own heart, if it had been Jesus there holding a sign saying, hey, I need some food, I'd have slammed on the brakes jumped out in speeding traffic, done anything, because it's Jesus, right? You see the argument that Jesus is trying to make here. It'd be very easy for any one of us to see Jesus in need and rush to help him. So they said, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, needing clothes, sick, or in prison and not help you? And he said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Church, can I submit to you that that whole parable is about the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. Church, can I submit to you that you don't know when Jesus is coming back, but Jesus has given us clear instructions for how to conduct ourselves until he does. To love him with all our heart by being ready for his return, being a prophetic witness to the world that he is coming back one day. And when he does, he's making all things new. And he's going to set all wrong things right. And when he comes back to make all things right, if you're in the wrong, that's a stinky place to be. But it don't have to be that way. So we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength by being ready, by waiting, by anticipating his return, by being just in love with him. What else do we do while we're waiting? We do something with what he's given us because we love him we want to do stuff for him. Isn't that true? Like I love my wife. So I want to, I want to bless her. I'm not perfect at it. I'm not a perfect human being, but I want to. I love my children, so I want to bless them even when they're just I want them to be blessed because I love them. So I do things for them that I wouldn't do for you because I don't love you as much as I love my kids. You know what I'm saying? If your kid comes to my door, I'm sending them back to you. You know what I'm saying? This is the point. Like, if, we, if you really love somebody, you want to do stuff for them. What are we supposed to do until Jesus, we're supposed to love God with all that we are. We're supposed to love him by being watchful for when he comes back and by being busy doing what he's called us and prepped us and equipped us and empowered us to do. I mean, quite literally, God himself is with you. You don't have any excuse to not go do it. And if you love him, you will. I think that's his whole point, is that if you love him, you will do something. And the final thing, what are we supposed to do while we wait? Love him by loving others. And I love that he finishes this whole section of teaching because it will transition after this point. Matthew, led by the Spirit of God, he transitions to a whole new segment, which lets us know this block of thought Has concluded right here, and it finishes with, here's how I really, truly love God, is I'm ready, I'm a prophetic witness, and I love him by loving other people with the gifts that he's empowered me to do so with. You with me? That's the journey. Isn't it so cool? I'm just going to, I have found so much joy in reading the scriptures this way, and not trying to piecemeal every little thing out and just reading it in humility and just trying to get what what the Holy Spirit led these people to write for us and when you take it all together it makes so much sense and you boil it all down what's Jesus saying you don't know when I'm coming back so here's what you should do in the meantime live ready as a prophetic witness by loving me with all your heart soul mind and strength by doing what I've called and purposed and empowered you to do, which is ultimately going to lead you to love people well. By the way, can I just point out, church, that when Jesus gives that last parable, he's very intentional about the ways that he describes us loving people. They're all action-based. None of it was, you saw me down and you came up and gave me an encouraging word. No, it was. I saw you had a need and I helped meet the need. It's very tangible. One of the New Testament, I think it's James, I could be wrong on this, I think it's James that says, hey, don't just love with words, love with action. What's wrong with you people? My grandma, I have a Japanese grandma. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you. I told you I'm going to end at 8.15. It's 8.15. This is my last story. I have a Japanese grandma, and, uh, you know, we're like, I'm, very, I'm a words person, so I would constantly be like, I love you, Grandma. And she'd never say it back to me, but every time I'd say I love you to her when we'd go to leave, she'd slip me like a $100 bill, you know. And I'd always be like, Grandma, I don't need your I'm not telling you I love you to get your money. And she looked at me one day, and she said, boy, don't be stupid. Telling me you love me ain't going to keep me warm at night, but me giving you this money shows you I love you." And I went, Grandma, love me some more. <laughs> like, Let's go. I'm here for it. What was her point, though? I think she had more in common with what Jesus wants than what I thought. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to do something that's actually going to help you because telling you I love you ain't going to keep you warm or keep you fed. But me giving you sustenance, giving you resources, meeting that's going to really show that I love you. You track it. It's not complicated, church. We don't know when he's coming back, but he's shown us what he wants us to do in the meantime. Love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength by living as a prophetic witness, anticipating his return, loving him by going and doing what he's called and purposed us to do and empowered us to do by going and serving other people and meeting real needs. Is everybody good with that? Amen. All right, let me pray over you. I'm going to let you out. It's 816. I'm sorry, I lied. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that your word is so good and it's so life-giving. I thank you, Father, that you, in your great love, have told us not to just be consumed with trying to figure out when you're coming back, but to consume ourselves with living appropriately for when you come back. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to just fall more in love with you and fall more in love with others. So that we can honor you with our lives and go do what you've called and purposed us and empowered us to do by loving other people well in real tangible ways. And I thank you, God, that you are with us and that one day Jesus will come back. And if you find us doing what we're supposed to be doing, you will invite us to come and celebrate and enjoy our master's goodness in your eternal kingdom of life. Lead us faithfully by your spirit, Father. In Jesus' name I pray amen and amen uh if you need prayer for anything i will be down here and the prayer team will be down here as well other than that we love you guys so much thanks for being here tonight we'll see you sunday morning bright and early at like 10 a.m that's not really bright and early it's